Hey everyone, welcome back to the Practicology Podcast. We really appreciate your time in joining us today. We've got a guest host who is back again. He's been with us before, Justin Pratt from Northern Ontario. Thank you for joining us, Justin. Thank you, Matthew. Pleasure to be a part of this. And today, Justin is going to show us how the Bible belongs not only next to the stack of dirty dishes, but also right there on the table beside you at your first date. Yeah, that's interesting, eh? You know, the Bible um, expects you to get married. That is the normal situation. That's what God's expectation was in creation. He made them male and female, we read in Genesis 1.27. And he did this because um, in order for the creation mandate to be fulfilled, his purpose in the creation of the universe, he needed both the man and the woman, both created in the image of God, to, to work together in this covenant of companionship in order to accomplish what he had in mind for them. Yeah, so I appreciate you saying that they're both created in the image of God. I think that's important to highlight. I appreciate that. And as you've said, marriage is a normal experience for people. This is a, a creatorial norm demonstrated by God creating the couple at the very beginning. And yet God knows that this isn't going to be the experience for every single individual. And as you say that it's the norm, Justin, I just want to uh, hear what you would say in response to, say, people citing 1 Corinthians 7, for example, that um, where Paul seems to imply that singleness is superior than marriage in that circumstance. Yeah, so Paul, as he references there in 1 Corinthians 7, I mean, he's, he's speaking about the fact that, um, that singleness is actually a special case. I would say marriage is the normal situation. You need to remember that singleness is, is, a, is a situation and a, that can be blessed by God as well. Obviously, he was extremely blessed in, in Paul's case. Um, the norm is marriage, and all of you who are not married listening to this podcast are single right now. So uh, how should you order your life as a single person? I mean, it's uh, the same for everyone. And uh, you don't know the future. You might be single the rest of your life. That might be God's plan for you. It might be the plan that you have for your life. So at this point, I mean, you should live um, single to the glory of God. Mm -hmm. um, don't live in a waiting room kind of way of thinking, you know, saying like life is only going to begin once I'm attached to somebody or I get married. While you're single and unattached, you can live your life wholly devoted to God, as Paul taught there in 1 Corinthians 7, and his kingdom can be served without the responsibility of family life. So, you know, don't despair if you're single and uh, recognize that uh, if you are single for the rest of your life, that this is a special case that, and God can usually use you in a special way in that way. Very good. But the fact that God did create a couple at the outset, I'm just wondering, what would you say that, what does that tell us about the man, that he that, that he was incomplete in some sense without the woman beside him? Yes, I mean, God clearly, you know, states as he considers his creation that everything seemed good except for the fact that uh, the man was alone. And uh, I think to Adam's relief, a woman was provided for him who would be, the helper that he needed to accomplish the work God had in mind for him, who would be complimentary, who would fill up and complete him and, and would be able to help him accomplish the mission that God had created him for. You know, uh, the relationship between the man and the woman there at the beginning 
the only relationship that it could have been patterned after is the relationship that was enjoyed between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and the Trinitarian relationships. And uh, God wanted man and woman, male and female, since they're made in the in his image to enjoy the same kind of relationships that they enjoyed amongst themselves within the Godhead. All right, that's very good and helpful and interesting. This is good, sound theology from uh, the record of creation in Scripture. Now, I know that uh, some of the things you're going to give us today have come from a book that you read a little while ago. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, so a lot of the uh, information that's distilled here in this podcast is from a book called Dating with Discernment by Sam Andreides. Worth reading if uh, you're interested in this kind of a topic in your stage of life, or maybe even if you want to counsel someone who's looking at uh, dating, teenagers who are wondering about things. Um, it's just uh, helpful with respect to, um, you know, setting the groundwork prior to, you know, seeking a life partner, and then as well, um, guiding and giving instruction with respect to dating with purpose, having some sort of intention when it comes to seeking a life partner. So to begin with, he starts with, uh, in his opening chapter, some pre-dating stuff where some of the stuff, uh, the material we've already covered is discussed with respect to you know, the theology of the creation of the man and the woman. And then he moves on to this second section, which he titles Guard the Gold. And basically the point of this section is just a reminder to each one of us that we are made in the image of God, that we are valuable to God the way he made us, that our self-worth is found in him, our, our identity is in Christ, and as such, we should not be selling ourselves cheaply or short um, just because of the world's um, pressure and highly sexualized atmosphere that we live in. Yeah, so it's the tendency of the world and the thinking of the culture who fails to recognize its identity, its worth, its value as image bearers of God, and then in an attempt to achieve their own value, an attempt to express themselves, they would say, or in the name of freedom, they're giving their bodies to whoever at times. And of course, the irony of that is that it's to the detriment of their self-worth and value, right? Exactly, yeah. He spends a little time discussing how, how do we determine or how do we establish worth or value in something. And uh, when we, uh, he gives a good illustration with respect to, to, to jealousy, you know, when something that we value is mistreated or, or mismanaged, the, the response that we have in our heart is jealousy. And uh, it reminds us that God is jealous of us. Um, so when we mismanage the gold, you know, our identity, our self-worth, we sell it cheap, he is angered. We're not valuing the gift that he gave us as we should. And the same could be said of, you know, so personally I can mismanage the gold in myself. My, and on the other hand, I could mismanage the gold in someone else. Um, I could take advantage of someone, you know, steal the gold, so to speak. And uh, he is jealous, of course, of that. So we need to guard the gold whenever we enter any kind of relationship, and especially in a relationship that could end up becoming deeper, a that could ultimately end up in a marriage. How do we guard the gold? Number one, there needs to be a proper assessment of who I am, a right sense of identity, as we've discussed already. And I also need to have, number two, a proper ass assessment of who you are, you know, the other party in the relationship. 
that we're both made in the image of God, an image that he is jealous of, and both must be treated with value. So what do you think this looks like specifically for males and females in a potential relationship? Okay, so, so for males, boys, you aren't ready to date until you're ready to treat the girl like gold. Ephesians 5 teaches us that uh, our life partner is to be someone that we would love like our own body. So treat with the same worth as we would value ourselves like a part of you. you when you're marrying somebody, your self-love is actually projected to the other and uh, it's incomplete without her. So if uh, you're at this point still a little full of yourself, if uh, you treat yourself above other people, you're not ready to treat someone else ahead of yourself, you aren't ready to date. And girls, you aren't ready to date until you know that you're gold in God's sight. That uh, you're not perfect, of course, but valued and precious, just like the church is described in Ephesians 5 as well. Not perfect, but valued by Christ. Otherwise, you can sell yourself cheap and end up in heartache. So just recognize that your self-worth isn't attached to someone else. It's attached to your identity in Christ and don't sell yourself cheaply. All right. Thank you. Obviously, what you're saying today uh, reflects an appreciation for Scripture's teaching about the differentiation between male and female. I think you'll be able to tell listeners that Justin and I are coming from what some may call a complementarian theology and approach to this subject. And I know, Justin, that's going to carry over into what you're saying about dating as well and the, the male-female roles in this process. Yes. So, as we're coming, you know, we've kind of got the preliminaries looked after here as far as what you should be thinking about prior to dating. Now you're at this point where you're, you're wondering about dating. You're ready to treat somebody like they're gold and treat them the way God would have you treat them. And uh, you recognize at this point that being male and female means that there are differences physically, emotionally, spiritually, all of them right and good, just different. But together in marriage, this complementary package enables God's uh, intent and in creation to be fulfilled. As a result, then it's of no surprise that both male and female um, parties would have different expectations in dating, and they should. And uh, so just a, a comment here to make at the beginning here is, what is dating for? Dating is not just for, um, you know, something to do on a Friday night to pass the time. Dating, uh, we don't just go through partners just to, you know, or take people out for dinner just for the sake of, you know, having a companion to share a nice meal with. But dating should have some intentionality. It should be about determining compatibility for marriage. The potential is there. However, we want to be clear at this point that just because you go out on a date with someone does not mean that there's any future expectations or attachment, at least at this stage of the game. Yeah, I appreciate you highlighting that because, uh, you know, we're not to be conformed to the world, Romans chapter 12, and that includes the world's approach to, to dating. So while the, the thinking of the culture may be a very casual and uh, almost a lighthearted approach to this, that you're just having fun with different people, Obviously, as believers, we care about our brothers and sisters and their emotions, so we don't take that approach. Yet at the same time, we're recognizing the, the very fact that we have this uh, relationship before marriage is showing that we're not 100% sure that we're going to spend the rest of our life with this person. Yes, we want to pray about it beforehand. 
we want to enter into this, uh, even that initial meetup carefully, but we're acknowledging that this is a time of assessment. We may believe that the Lord could bring this person into our life as a marriage partner, but we're not yet 100% sure, right? Exactly. Yeah. So that means dating is a big deal. And uh, unfortunately, I think you mentioned that, you know, the world at large or the society at large kind of looks at it as fairly flippant. Um, I, I, I think that sometimes the culture within a church setting is that it's um, so serious or maybe even so has so much weight or responsibility that it can be crushing and almost make it so that it, uh, it that you shouldn't even date, that it becomes kind of like you kind of got to wait until you know who that person is for sure before you make a move. And sometimes if you do ask somebody out, then all of a sudden there's all the whispers and the rumors and the this and that about so-and-so going out with so-and-so. And uh, this can make it more awkward than it needs to be. Um, it's not a joke. So we need to, I think, uh, in general, we need to recognize this and um, rec uh, amongst our friend groups, maybe even amongst parent level, that uh, we don't um, make things more difficult than it needs to be, that we should actually be encouraging these kinds of interactions because if marriage is to be a lifelong commitment, you want to make sure that you get it right. Right, because, uh, you know, it is such a... It is such a tension-filled area in life. We don't want to add to that tension. Ideally, we would love to relieve some of that tension. I think in addition to the wise counsel you have just shared, I would also say maybe in these initial meetups, um, maybe it's even best not to refer to it as a date. Maybe that puts a bit too much pressure on the situation as well. You could just talk about going out to meet for to meet up for coffee or to go out for a meal, sure. But um, you know, in a sense, you're not yet dating. You are assessing whether this is someone that you would be able to date with. Yes, very good. Yeah, and and so then when you go out for coffee or however you call it, just we want to be purposeful in your pursuit with the partner. So both of you should be on the same page. If, if you know, both of you are listening to this, you'll both have the same information. And if you, if you're not both listening to this and one is, then you can fill the other person in that this is the intention of this initial meeting, or maybe even future meetings. It's a determined compatibility, whether we're going to go farther, there's inherently going to be some emotional attachment to begin with. I mean, as you say, it's tension and all those sorts of things play into it, but you don't want to have it so that you're you're too emotionally attached or involved prior to actually having any kind of commitment. And so we want to make sure that we're dating with discernment, that the whole purpose of this, these interactions then are to determine whether or not there is compatibility or suitability for each going forward. Because we want to ask some, some big questions. We want to talk about some big things in those early meetups before, like you say, before we are so emotionally intertwined that it's difficult to make objective assessments. So I know that's where you're going next uh, with some big questions that we can look for answers for in our initial times together. Maybe you want to get a pen and paper out and write some of these down. This would be the time. While you're doing that, we'll just talk about a couple of uh, just another kind of theological basis for these questions based on the recognition that there are what's called asymmetries of gender. So the male and the female are different. And these relate to things that are, to lessons that are kind of gleaned from Genesis 2 and the story of Adam and Eve and their creation in the garden. And these come under three titles. And the questions that we're going to be discussing are kind of follow along these three differences as well. So the first one has to do with the differences or the asymmetry of origin between the male and the female. 
the male is made out of dirt, of the ground, dust of the ground, and he was made kind of in the in the world at large with respect to God's creation. And so his sphere of service is kind of, generally speaking, more out to the world. It's outward focused. Whereas the woman, she's made from his rib in the garden. And again, uh, one of the, the female roles that differs from the males is that she's more inward focused with respect to the family and she's the caring. And, and so there's a difference in origin uh, that, um, that characterizes the asymmetry of male and female. The second distinction is with, with, with respect to order. So the order of creation, the man was made first and the woman second. And this speaks to headship, the head versus the body um, teaching that we see throughout the Bible and uh, has to do with responsibility and male leadership. And the third section has to do with intent. Uh, and this has to do with mission. The man was made to be the leader versus the woman made to be the helper, the helper who would complement and enable him to accomplish his tasks. So you have these three sections with respect to origin, order, and intent. And so when we come to these questions that uh, we need to be thinking about when we're dating with discernment, those are the categories to be thinking about. The questions are gendered as well. So we're going to be looking at them with respect to the male versus the female. And they come under two kind of big questions and underneath them are six gendered questions for each. So a total of 12. And uh, just if you're following along, then the first big question that we're thinking about as you're approaching your date or you're going out for coffee is you're wondering to yourself if the other person is the one, you know, one with capital letters. Is this the one that I am to marry or is this the one that I could be compatible with. Let me just interrupt you for a second there, Justin. I, I think we're on the same page here, but I don't think you're implying that uh, God only has one potential individual out there that I could marry and I need to find that one magical person. You're just saying, is is this person one that God has brought into my life? Is this one person I'm talking to? Is this someone that I could potentially spend the rest of my life with? Agreed. I don't uh, believe that God expects us to find the needle in the haystack who's the one that is the perfect complement to me. I don't believe that God made, you know, in the case of my wife, Naomi, and she would have been unsuitable to anybody else. But I'm quite glad that she was been proved to be extremely suitable to myself. Amen. Good way of putting it. So is this the one? This is, uh, you know, you're asking yourself this question. Is this somebody that I could be, that is suitable, compatible, and uh, so the male, if I'm the man, I'm, I'm, these are the kind of questions I'm thinking about in my mind. So I'm looking at her and I'm, as we're discussing things, I'm thinking to myself, can she give me rest? Remember, this is respect to origin. He, he's outward focused. He leaves and goes to work. And that's not to say that the woman can't work outside the home. But in, in the biblical theological framework that we're working from here, he's looking for someone that he can come home to who can provide him with rest, give him a base to work for God from. So he's asking, can she give me rest? Secondly, he's thinking, can she esteem me? Is this someone who, who I can be the head of? And thirdly, he's thinking, can she empower our journey or our mission together? Is she someone that can be a real helper in the mission that we would like to chart in life together? Conversely, she's asking, asking the similar questions, but according to her gendered um, perspective. 
So she's looking at him and thinking, can he secure me? The woman needs security. And he's thinking, she's looking at him and saying, is this someone who can provide that for me? She's looking at him and saying, is this someone who can take charge for us? And then she's wondering, does he have a mission or a purpose in life that I'm willing to attach myself to, that I'm willing to help enable? So underneath the umbrella of this question, is this the one? The male's asking these questions. Is she going to be suitable? Does she line up with these needs that I have of needing rest, esteem, and empowerment in our journey and mission? And she's thinking, can he secure me? Can he take charge for us? Does he have a mission or purpose in life? Yeah, I like that last question that you said uh, a female is asking, does he have a, a mission and purpose in life? Obviously, this is going to be a joint journey, like you said, a joint mission, but it is the male responsibility to be a, a leader in the home. In fact, when I did a little casual informal survey of a few sisters lately of things that they would be looking for in a godly potential partner, uh, potential husband, uh, more than one of them said that they were looking for a man who would show some real initiative. That wasn't something that scared them off or offended their femininity. That is something that they were looking for in a man. It is part of his role for them in a marriage. Very good. So then... These questions, you know, you're thinking outwardly, you're looking at the other person saying, is this the one? At the same time, we need to be looking at ourselves and saying, am I able to answer those questions on behalf of the other person there? So under the second big question, we were entitled, am I the one? You're asking yourself, am I the one for that person? The male is asking himself, can I secure her? Is she someone that I feel like I could be pro provide security for. And he's thinking to himself, can I take charge for her? Is she someone that I could lead? And he's thinking to himself, is there a mission for us together? And she at the same time is looking at him thinking, can I give him rest? Can I esteem him? Can I empower our journey? So similar questions, but now turn the other way around. And it's in that interplay that you should be able to start to sort out whether or not there's any kind of compatibility. If there's going to be a mismatch, then we probably need to start wondering whether or not that mismatch is significant enough for you to say that this relationship shouldn't continue. And I guess you're not saying that this, uh, let's say that the answers to those questions are negative uh, in the woman's perception. She's not. She's not maybe saying that this man cannot secure anybody or that this man cannot lead anybody in a mission, but she's getting the sense that he's not going to be able to provide that for her personally, right? Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. So I think it actually is a helpful way of, of actually being able to sort some of these things out in our mind because um, a person might not be a fit for you and there's still a completely acceptable life partner for somebody else. And I think if we're approaching it from this way, even if it comes to a time where you have to say no, or you say no quite quite quickly off the bat, if you can frame the no in these kinds of terms, in the sense that I'm just not really sure that I can be uh, that I can secure you, or I'm just not sure that you're the you're the person to lead me. There can be personality clashes. There can be intellectual differences. There can be such a a vast difference in life experience or calling, perhaps even. Even just something as uh, as significant as a health difference might mean that, you know, a mission in life 
maybe the woman cannot support the husband, the, the, the male's mission in life because of health differences or health difficulties or th these kinds of things. Perhaps even final financial expectations, just there's not a, a match in those things. So we see that it's possible for this person to not be the one for you, but clearly could be the one for someone else. And I think if you have this kind of uh, approach in your mind, then perhaps it's not so devastating if there has to be uh, a break off in the relationship or the relationship actually doesn't really get off the ground. Right. Very good. And so some of these things, I mean, some of the things there may be differences and you might, uh, you know, one of you may be able to adapt and maybe the relationship still could be a go, but that is part of the assessment process. But I appreciate the the idea of discussing these big things early on. I mean, this is this is a lot deeper than just saying, does this person believe the same things about the local church as me? I mean, that's important too. You're going to want to go to the same church and be part of the same fellowship, obviously. But your questions are are both bigger and deeper that uh, that you're encouraging people to think about. Yeah, and uh, in his book, he actually has at the end of the book in an appendix 40 first date questions. And these questions are, you know, range from the ridiculous to the deep, I guess you could say. And uh, I just think they're very useful to even think about because just in a conversation about something that is, uh, you know, not maybe tied so personally or so, you know, you talked about, you know, your belief with respect to the church, things like this, they're, they're less, they're fairly neutral questions, but you can glean a lot about a person um, by them talking about them. So for example, a question like, this what animal would you see yourself as you know so <laughs> there's a chance to think i don't know Matthew, what you say after that? <laughs> I, I don't know that's uh that's maybe slightly lowered my impression of the book i've been liking everything else so far <laughs> why why don't you give us a few more questions see if you can lift okay. me back up again if you had a million dollars specifically to give away to some charity or ministry which would it be all right i like that one yeah that's not as ridiculous but there are things that make you think and make you talk. It just kind of helps you get an idea of a person's interests, a person's focus, a person's life experience. When you are at work, do you think that God smiles at the actual work that you are doing? Hmm. I mean, I, I just think that, that that question, for example, gives you a little bit of insight into how um, real the presence of God is to a person, perhaps, or at least a sense of, of their appreciation for God's involvement in their life, in their day-to-day -day life. I can give you a bit of a window into a person's uh, spiritual disposition, say. Yeah, very good. Now, I know that we both believe that another valuable way to get to know someone and to perceive their values for raising a family is to meet them with their family as well, right? Yes, and uh, one of the chapters is highly in the book highly recommends meeting the family, and he would argue as soon as possible. Um, from a biblical point of view, we are reflections of our parents. I mean, we're the product of their one flesh union. And so we come from our parents and we we learn a lot. Uh, a lot of who we are is caught from the family life that we've, we are a part of. And uh, so I think families need to recognize, you know, when, when the time comes for, um, for children to be dating and bringing other people home, that uh, this shouldn't be a, a time of, you know, of of hilarity or joking and teasing and all those kind of things, which can be off-putting and not actually give a, a good, clear 
perspective to that other person coming, make things awkward. But these, we need to just be normal and actually kind of give a person a sense of what normal family life is like here. And uh, I mean, marrying into a family is, is part of the commitment of marriage. Um, there's a, a responsibility that each of us have to our parents and, mm-hmm. and to our brothers and sisters in, in the flesh throughout life. The New Testament speaks of that. And so not only does that give us a, uh, an insight into the way a person you know, who could be a potential life partner thinks, but it also is a, a commitment with respect to the care and lifestyle that will be becoming a part of Good if point. we do end up marrying that person. Good point. And I guess as a family, you've kind of intimated this already. I mean, on the one hand, we want to welcome this person, but at the same time, we don't want to assume that this person is already our daughter-in-law or son-in-law, right? It's not a done deal yet. We don't want to put that pressure on our child. Exactly. Very good. One question that everybody wonders about whenever you talk about this kind of a topic too then is, so what about looks? What about the chemistry, attraction, all these kinds of things? Well, um, how important are they? Well, we all know what the Bible says, that man looks on the outward, but God looks on the heart. You know, the little saying out there is beauty in the eye of the beholder. You know, so how do we get between these two things? You know, what what I see versus physically versus what's the character inside. And I think that's one of the benefits of this idea of dating with discernment is if we recognize that um, maybe the person who's asking you out isn't isn't the most attractive or the most handsome person you've ever seen. And you might be thinking to yourself like, no, I'm not physically attracted. And you, you might be. Uh, thinking that you you just want to say no right off the bat. Well, you're completely free to do so. On the other hand, if you actually decide to say yes and go out with the person and have this chance for a little chat, and you might actually find that uh, this person is the one based on the character that they have to offer. And you might come to recognize then that beauty is actually in the eye of the beholder and you're actually seeing below the skin and uh, appreciating the inner beauty of the person. And uh, I think, you know, that uh, from a biblical point of view, there's a lot of benefit. And I think there's a lot going for you if you're actually willing to take that step and uh, investigate a person's character rather uh, and give them a chance that way, rather than just writing a person off based on what you see on the surface. Yeah, the reality is for so many people that as they have got to know someone and started loving them, they find them more attractive. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us to be attracted to someone. It tells us to love them, to love our husband, to love our wife. But, mm-hmm. uh, but what we will find as we love them is that we will become more attracted to them. That will work both ways. That's how it's supposed to work. That's how God has designed it. To commit to someone based solely on a beautiful appearance obviously is unwise. Its uh, character needs to be much more weighty. Proverbs 12.4, a wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a wife who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. Uh, Proverbs 11, a beautiful woman who rejects good sense is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. So you don't want to be so captivated by a a gold ringer in looks that you overlook a pig-like character. And now you've given us the opposite caution as well. We don't want to we don't want to turn away someone whose appearance maybe wasn't the most striking thing initially when it turns out that they have uh, a very spiritual and honorable and valuable character. 
Yeah, I agreed. And I think the thing is, is the fact that somebody's asking you in the first place probably means to some extent that there's at least that person is thinking that there's some sort of attraction there to begin with. Mm-hmm. And if it's not reversed, you know, if it's not reciprocated off the bat, you know, I'm just saying it might be worth giving the person a chance. So, you know, these are things to consider. You want to date with discernment. You want to recognize that saying no is better than being married to someone that uh, you should have said no to. I mean, the, the Bible doesn't really uh, countenance divorce unless, I mean, except for very specific reasons. And uh, God expects you to be married for life and to be able to fulfill the creation mandate that he has for the Christian. And the Christian mandate, perhaps you could say in Matthew 28, about going and telling the gospel to the whole world and making disciples. You want to that the whole basis of being able to do that is from a the foundation of a solid marriage in a good home. You want to make sure that you choose well, choose wisely, and as a result, you'll have a, a, a real blessing. God speaks of the blessing of having a good husband or a good wife multiple times, and I think we all recognize it just by experience and by observation as we look at people who have had have left behind a legacy like that to follow. Yeah, I appreciate those good words, Justin. You're, you're giving us some counsel for this process of evaluation. Until we are married, we are not bound by covenant, so we need to be evaluating at that stage, even as we are seeking to grow in that relationship as well. And you've given some good things for people to think about to help them make a proper assessment to be dating with discernment. Thanks so much for bringing us these words today. You're welcome. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in today. Of course, we always love to hear from you. You can reach out to us at info at practicologypodcast.com. And we plan to revisit the subject of dating with uh, at least one additional podcast in the not-too-distant future. We hope you'll tune into that one, as well as everything else we attempt to bring you for your blessing and for the glory of God. Thanks again for tuning in. Mm -hmm.